Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast and your host today is Carla Reffold. We are joined by Sandro Buccaneri. Sandro is an award-winning globally experienced security executive with over two decades of cybersecurity experience. Specifically with the last 12 years at the executive level of CISO and CSO, Sandro is currently the group CSO at ABSA Group in Africa. Please note this session was actually recorded in 2020 so some of the remarks will be in reference to 2020 rather than 2021 so I hope you enjoy. Sandra thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for the invite. So tell us a little bit about you where, where were you born where did you grow up? So I was born and raised in uh, Cape Town uh, South Africa but um, I've uh, for the last uh, best part of 14-15 years I've lived abroad uh, from Hong Kong to the US to London, where I spent the bulk of my time, uh, and then the UAE, uh, and then coming back to South Africa in 2017. Um, so yeah, so a little bit of uh, everywhere, but ultimately born and raised in South Africa. Pretty much every continent then? Almost, yes. I, I think I'm missing Antarctica, South America, and Australia. So having worked in so many different countries, what differences have you found when it comes to security? So culture plays a massive part from a security perspective. And I think there's lots of CISOs that, that misunderstand that component. They think that if they put a policy down and it works perfectly fine in the UK, it's going to work perfectly fine in you know, inter-country year. So I think that's one part that that is misunderstood. So I think the cultural differences across the, the world plays a massive part in how you then you know, design your security program or your security strategy. That's I think one of the key things. So, you know, when it comes to uh, how people interact with each other, how, how open they are or not, etc., plays a massive part in that journey. Now, a lot of our listeners are between the UK and the US, and having lived in both myself, there's some kind of key cultural differences, even though we we speak the same language. Is that something you found too between those few countries? Yeah, no, so 100%. So I think it's funny that you mentioned that. That's, that's, no, we speak the Queen's English in the UK and in South Africa, but when you come to the US, they they speak English as well, but then with slight subtle differences. So, and and the same is true with how they how we approach security. Um, and they are subtle differences, but differences nonetheless. So, what about education for you? Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done? Yeah, look, education is exceptionally important for me. It's one of my, my pillars in, in everything that I'm doing. Um, from my side personally, so um, out of high school, I went to, I did go and study. I did global programming, um, but I couldn't see myself sitting behind a screen for eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, and it's ironic that I sit behind the screen longer than that now, even not doing programming. Um, I quickly left that. I didn't like it. I could do it, but I just didn't like it. And then I went to work. Uh, I got picked up by uh, VeriSign in the US uh, after they bought a small company out in South Africa called Thought Consulting. Worked for VeriSign for a very long time. Uh, but And through my career, I, and I've, I've done my CISSP, my CISM, I did my CRISC at some point. Uh, and then ultimately, if I wanted to get into the uh, executive level positions, I believe that I needed some form of 
tertiary education. So that's when I went to go and do my master's in information security at Royal Holloway. Um, and then, yeah, it's a, it's a continuous journey of learning and education, uh, which I'm on. Um, and I always believe that I can learn new things. And that's essentially where I currently find myself. I think that's quite topical at the moment. There's a lot of people looking to get into security and looking at what qualifications they should do or what experience they should get. What do you advise people if they ask you that question? There's a lot of youth in our country, in South Africa, that's on the, uh, on the poverty line. Um, and I tell them, look, you don't need a wall hung with degrees to be a successful cybersecurity professional. You need some drive and, and ambition and a hunger for learning or continuous learning. And if you've got those three elements, I think you can be very successful. So then, you, then, then we push them down the path of you know, basic training. So whether it's your A+, plus, you know, understanding how memory works, what a CPU is, and what a hard drive is, et cetera, then all the way over to your more advanced training, such as OSCP uh, for pen testing or application security. Uh, it's just giving them that insight. You know, the world is your oyster if you get into cybersecurity. I think it's not very well um, publicized. When you talk about cybersecurity, you automatically think of a breach. Uh, and that's what everybody thinks cybersecurity is all about. So it's just making them excited to say, hey, the world is your oyster. Now, what is it that you want to do and how do you tie it to your personal beliefs and values of uh, protecting people? So if you, you know, innately want to protect, you know, cybersecurity is a perfect world for you. I think you're, you're right about that image, you know, the image that we always see is uh, someone in a dark room wearing a hoodie and cyber can be so much more than that. <laughs> no, exactly. So I think that leads us quite nicely into the Cybersecurity Academy that you've set up. So can you tell us where did the idea for this come from? So it was when I was in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we were looking at moving back to London. We were in Abu Dhabi for just under two years. And while it was a great place to live, I, I think we wanted we, we were missing the life in, in London. Surprisingly, we didn't miss the weather, but we missed <laughs> coming back to London. Uh, and I was uh, myself and my wife decided, look, we're going to move back to London. And on my way, I came for a couple of interviews and then uh, I got intercepted uh, via phone call saying, hey, we're looking for a, a security individual in South Africa to come and join uh, a bank um, in South Africa. And typically all the, all the financial institutions are up in Johannesburg. Now, being from Cape Town, I don't really want to work anywhere else in South Africa other than Cape Town because all my family is here. So... That being said, I said, look, I'm, I'm not really interested right now because I would probably have to be based in Johannesburg. They said very quickly, no, no, you can be based in Cape Town. And that was the first part of the conversation. And it was a very tough one when, when I decided between London and South Africa. But my wife is the main reason why we moved back. She said that I've always wanted to give back um, uh, to disadvantaged uh, youth. Uh, I come from a, a previously disadvantaged area. Um, so she said, you always wanted to give back. This is your perfect opportunity. So we moved back in 2017. And then we started having this conversation about how do we upskill uh, our own internal staff? Because at that point in time, there was a three and a half million uh, shortage in cybersecurity skills globally. Uh, obviously, that number's increased now. Uh, and worth that, that's how the idea was then born to set up an academy because we needed more skills in, in, in my organization. Uh, we took um, 20 of our um, operations staff who was potentially going to be um, 
let go due to automation and a whole host of other issues. Um, and then we basically took them through uh, this, the program. Of, it was a 16-week program to give them cybersecurity skills. So these were individuals that had no background in tech, no background in security in any way or form. And we took them through you know, your, your very basics, your A+, plus, uh, your basic um, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, security principles, etc. Uh, and I was looking to get... Um, no, at least three or four strong individuals out of this program, and then we ended up hiring all 20. But that was essentially the, the beginning of, of the idea of how we wanted to set this up. So tell us a little bit about what the program is doing now. So the program is eventually morphed into a three-year program. Um, we ran two internal cohorts quite successfully, but it also made me realize very quickly that I can't keep hiring 20 uh, staff at that level level all the time. I don't have the budget. I don't have the headcount. So we then, uh, the, the program evolved to going external because I wanted to help underprivileged or marginalized youth. Um, so we then focused um, on an external partner, uh, which is the Maharishi Institute, who focuses on that, that category of student uh, currently for all other manner of education and, and training. Um, and when we went through this process, uh, we realized that I need to partner as well. So we've partnered with uh, Mimecast as one of our partners um, and several others are coming on board hopefully soon. I'll, I can't mention that right now, but and they will be able to hire these individuals uh, from that uh, from that entry level perspective. So when we went into the into the program again, it was only a one year program. We decided, well, hang on, some of these students need a little bit more time to understand these concepts better, et cetera. So that's when we've turned it into a three-year program. So in your th first year, for example, um, you will do uh, A+, plus, N+, plus, S+, plus, uh, certifications. You come out of that first year and you could elect to then go and work and, and find uh, an entry-level position, a desktop engineer, whatever the case may be. You can continue studying uh, and go into the second year of the program, which then takes you through to Python programming. Uh, you do Cisco CCNA cyber ops. Um, so it gives you that analyst designation. and. And in the third year, which we haven't uh, gotten to yet because our, our students from last year are in their second year now, they'll ultimately then choose and branch out even further into your more specialist domains of cyber. So whether you want to go down the pen testing route or application security or cloud, et cetera, you can then pivot along that pathway to get OSCP qualifications or AWS training or whatever the case may be. So that's essentially the, uh, the curriculum that we've currently devised. And where do you find the people for the courses? So that's essentially done through the Maharishi Institute. They've got a program where individuals can apply through, um, and then we take a, a look at all these applications. Now, when we, we did this last year, we had over, I think, 1,400 applications. Uh, and then we go through a whole battery of tests, um, assessments, et cetera, to make sure that the individuals coming through um, has the aptitude uh, for this. And in most cases, they do. And then we go through the selection criteria from a financial background, et cetera, to make sure that it's fair uh, for everyone that's trying to apply and get in. Um, and that's essentially how we find uh, the, these, these students. And is the course funded by the bank or is it funded by the other partners as well? At the moment, it's, it's funded uh, by the bank as part of our social responsibility program. Um, but yeah, always looking for uh, additional sponsorship with or through our sponsors. Um, but right now it's funded through the organization. And I suppose there's a, a real benefit. Oh, tell me, are you seeing that in terms of lower recruitment costs or higher retention? 
So, so on both actually, yeah. So, I mean, the, when the, we ran the first cohort, uh, and I was only hoping, I was looking for three or four individuals, we managed to hire all 20 of them at zero hiring costs. Um, in terms of the retention, all 20 of those individuals are still with, a, with the organization. In some cases, some of them have been promoted into various parts of my security function. So whether it's in the security operations center, in our consulting team, or, or risk, or whatever the case may be, they've you know, shown great growth and this continuous learning journey that they're on. Um, and the retention's been great as well. I think the biggest challenge that I'm faced with in South Africa specifically, fortunately, my, my staff are not leaving for any of the competitor banks or any other parts of industry in South Africa. They are unfortunately leaving for abroad. So they come into the UK, they go into the US, New Zealand, et cetera. And that's, I think, where some of my challenges are, are being faced with. Do you have any plans to mitigate that? I think it comes back to that very first question that we spoke about is about culture. It's about creating a great working environment, making sure that uh, what they are doing uh, fits their purpose and, and making sure that they are happy. Um, and then also the continuous uh, learning that they are on and that, that they are given is part and parcel of a great work environment. I think that's as much as that I can do. Uh, it's work for the most part, but no, I don't, I don't, I'm not upset if anybody leaves or anything like that. I encourage people to always go experience new things. And I wish them well if they do go abroad. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's just creating that culture of innovation, collaboration, etc. Now, the academy sounds like it would take up a huge amount of your time. How are you balancing that with your, your day job? So I have, a very, uh, I have a great team that runs the academy. Uh, and they predominantly take take care of that. Uh, in terms of finding the balance, now I try to get involved with the academy uh, from a mentorship perspective and speaking to these individuals and these kids specifically. You know, what is it that you want out of security? And and the biggest qu the question that I ask is why are you here? Um, and I remember asking that question to the first uh, year students last year, and most and all of them put their hands up and they put their fingers together and they said money. Uh, and then I explained, you, know, you can get money anyway. You can go and work at, at a grocery store. You can go and you know, wash cars, whatever the case may be. You can get cash anywhere. But who of you are here because you're trying to provide better, uh, a better home for your families, for your grandmother, your, your, your parents, etc. Now you're putting a roof over your head, clothes on your back, etc. And when I started changing the, um, the dynamic of the question, they started realizing that there's a bigger purpose to this than just the, the, the monetary element. And I think that's the key thing uh, for that. So in terms of finding time, it's just you know, making the time, even if it's cutting to my personal time if I need to, um, because it's something that is close to my heart. And we all, I think, have a duty of, uh, of helping those that are less fortunate than us. Now, you mentioned culture there, so and I think this is coming up a lot again this year with everybody being stuck at home and companies having to almost rethink their culture um, and in some cases working hours for people in security. So how has that been for, for you and what have you been putting in place? So it's understanding your, your staff, right? So whether that's from a security, your my, my security function or the wider environment that we operate in as to how can we enable us staff to still do their jobs in the current context. So South Africa specifically is probably one of the countries in the world that's gone into hard lockdown more than most. So in the beginning of, in the middle of March, we went into a hard lockdown where we couldn't leave the house unless you were leaving it for essential services. So if you had to go to the store for bread or milk, 
or if you needed medical attention, etc. So we had to very quickly pivot uh, uh, and to ensure that our staff members, who are also in the same predicament as we are, um, could still work, could still earn a living, um, and making sure that the environment that they are working in, whether that be at home or not, um, is is good enough. So making sure it's still secure from obviously from a CSO perspective, um, but also from a, an availability perspective, connectivity perspective, all those things are, are, are set up correctly. So we don't add any more uh, obstacles in their way just to basically do their day job. And I think that's the key thing that we try to do is create that 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 culture of work, collaboration, etc. And for the academy, you've obviously said we've got another year for that that three year program. But what's coming next? Where do you where would you like this to get to? So I would like to see more more companies coming to the the table uh, and helping out or setting up academies just like this because we've created a cookie cutter approach. So the curriculum is relatively straightforward. I think there is the secret sauce or the difference between what we do in terms of the technical training is no different than anyone else can do. It's internationally recognized certification. So A+, N+, uh, Security+, you know, the Cisco stuff that we do, uh, Python training, etc. So anybody can learn that. You can go into the multitude of free resources that are out there and learn those things. I think the difference that we bring, and that's where the Maharishi Institute comes in, is that they bring a consciousness-based education through the program. And what that means is that we're focusing a lot on fixing the whole human. So most of these individuals that come to the academy come from, uh, as I mentioned, a very marginalized background. So think of uh, either some form of PTSD is what they have, so post-traumatic stress disorder. uh, and, And you can't really learn if you've if you stressed out, if you think about yourself, you know, if you've been on the tube uh, in Russia or in London in any time in your career, you know it is actually a stressful environment. Try getting on a, a tube um, at, at Canada Water after it's filled up at Canary Wharf. It's almost impossible. So now when you get that level of stress, you really can't function. And, and that's what we needed to change. And that's where the program is doing a great job, is that it's normalizing those stress levels so that they can be op- more open to learn and they learn significantly faster. So that's essentially where that, um, that part comes in. On the um, on the way that we're doing it. So what I would like to see is that this cookie cutter approach can be done in any way on the planet, um, and then also uh, I firmly believe you know, the African continent is primed for the, the fourth industrial revolution. When you look at the the average age of youth in Africa, it's 19 and a half years versus any of the counterparts anywhere else in the world. Unfortunately, that the, the rest of the world, specifically Europe, is on like the average age there is 45. So in 10 years time. When Europe go, goes into the twilight of their career, uh, you've got Africa in the prime of their, their career, um, and that's essentially where, where, where the hub of, of most things will be from a, a for IR perspective. So I'm, I'm looking for, for trying to solve, solve the problem of re- removing the skills gap or reducing the skills gap, um, or the skill shortage rather, of four, 4 million uh, people, uh, and then also helping those who are less fortunate to uplift themselves and their families for ultimately generations to come. And what about diversity within the team? Is there a focus on having a certain number of women? So it's not a hard and fast rule on what uh, on how many women uh, we bring through the program. We encourage all, all learners uh, all students of all backgrounds to come through, but it's just been great that now in year one we had a 70% uh, 
uh, intake of women, uh, which is brilliant. Uh, the second year, I think that's a little bit uh, lower. But uh, yeah, we, we encourage everybody to, to come in and, and we are encouraging more women in tech or women in security specifically because we know that there's a significant shortage of that specifically. Um, and, and more importantly, I think women bring a, a, a unique uh, view to the, the security world in, in how they approach risk and security. And a very good friend of mine, Jane Franklin, talks about it all the time. She speaks about it in her book uh, because they are because women have that innate ability to protect. Um, now, from a security perspective, it just you know, benefits everybody. No, I love Jane's book and the ideas that are, are in there. I'm I'm amazed that seventy percent were women. So the rest of the world is struggling to get above twenty percent, but you've managed to get to seventy. Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure that was by pure chance, but uh, we do encourage as many uh, women to come through the program from to learn, uh, because I think it, it, it sets you up. You no, know, cybersecurity has been, I've been very successful in my career. I've been very blessed to tra have traveled the world because I was in consulting for a long time, and that's where I gained most of my experience. And when I tell my story that way, I can see the eyes, you know, that little sparkle in the eyes that, that, that pops in, where people are thinking, oh, wow, I could do that same, I could do the same thing. Uh, and I encourage anybody that wants to get into cyber to do just that, um, because that's how quickly you can learn. The world has become a very, very small space or place. Um, if you think about how we used to operate in the past before COVID, you would always fly a consultant into any part of the world to do your um, your important, uh, no, your Splunk configuration, whatever the case may be. Now I can have that same consultant still sit in San Francisco and I have a whole group of juniors or entry-level students like this um, to get the training while that individual is still sitting in the comfort of their home you know, in the US and give the same training or um, configuration work that they would have been doing, they can do it remotely and or virtually. And I think that's where we will ultimately end up. I'm not saying that travel will go away completely, but I'm looking at ways to upskill significantly faster than we may have done in the past. It does seem that it's going to be a little bit hard to justify people flying all over the world when we've managed for so long without it. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit about security in general. So I know one of the things that is important to you is collaboration. So what have you seen from an industry perspective when it comes to collaboration in security that's worked really well? So I think, yeah, collaboration is exceptionally important, right? So if I, if I use an example of how, how the bad guys operate, right, they basically say, hey, I'm going to attack now, these group or this industry, uh, I'll give you a 5% cut of anything that we find. All you're going to say is, yep, thanks, let's go. That's it, done. But when you move over to the corporate world, and, and there are rules and regulations for a reason, and I, I fully abide by those, but sometimes we, um, we are our own worst enemies by the rules and the regulations going all the way to the, the right and creating it more difficult for us to collaborate effectively. And from a security perspective, that's where we need to be. So if I look at the financial industry, if one of a, if, if a competitor bank is attacked from a, by a DDoS or they are attacked in, in, from a phishing campaign or whatever the case may be, and they don't share those indicators of compromise or how they are being attacked, et cetera, with the wider community, it doesn't benefit anybody. Right. We need to make sure that we can share as anonymously as we can uh, information that will help better defend everyone, because we also have a moral obligation as, as white, hack, white hats to protect those around us 
from phishing scams, from fraud, from financial crime, etc. And that's essentially where I would like to see the collaboration efforts going. So uh, in the UAE, uh, I was part of the, the, the program that launched the uh, threat intelligence sharing platform. I know we've got several sharing platforms in the US and the UK. Uh, we're doing something similar in South Africa where we're bringing everyone together and just sharing information as anonymously, of course, not sharing sensitive information. And to be, be careful, I, I don't say that we're sharing sensitive information because we still have to comply with GDPR and the, and the relevant privacy regulations. Um, but sharing the in information that will help us better defend our environments against those that are looking to do harm. We we do see those groups that share between you know perhaps peers in the in the industry you know like you say we've we've had this type of attack or we've seen or stopped this type of attack and here's what you need to be looking for too, um, but the only ones that I'm aware of are within industry so legal firms will share with legal firms and. I'm not sure attackers think like that. What What do you no. think? No, no, 100%. We need to do cross industry collaboration. So while I may work in the financial industry right now, there was a long time in my career that I was doing consulting into the retail uh, industry uh, through PCI uh, and bringing those two together uh, to share the information. Uh, is exceptionally important so that we can defend across the spectrum. But exactly to your point, um, they're not going to say, oh, let's just attack the finance industry, but they can get into the finance industry through a third party providing all the postage for a given organization. Um, or just like with what happened with Target, uh, where their HVAC system uh, was attacked to ultimately hop onto their payments uh, network. So that's essentially how they will look it's again coming down to the collaborative effort that we're all trying to do uh, and I think the world you know, I was involved with uh, the World Economic Forum's um, cyber uh, sharing initiative now that was released last week um, and that's important you now bringing all these industry experts together so that we can share our, our collective knowledge um, so that we can move um, the dial forward. What about how larger companies can share with maybe smaller organizations because as a large company you've potentially got a, a fairly mature team and a re really good program, but those third parties that you mentioned typically don't have that. No, exactly. So I think that's exactly why those sharing platforms, uh, if you have 10 people contributing to the platform, I believe that you should sh share that wider to those SMEs, to those smaller organizations that can't afford having a CISO plus uh, five direct reports, plus a SOC and a larger team, et cetera. So I firmly believe you know, sharing information as far and wide as possible in the community um, will ultimately help us fight uh, cybercrime to where it currently is. I think it's going to be a $6 trillion business by next year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's important that we all work together to try and alleviate that problem. Where do you think that responsibility sits? You know, does a company have a responsibility to help its third parties with its security? I think it's everybody is responsible for security. There will be a person that's obviously accountable. So in my in my case, you know, I, I I drum on this message all the time that everybody in my organisation is responsible for uh, security and making sure that they are not sharing passwords. Um, that they are taking care of sensitive data correctly, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I'm accountable uh, for all of it uh, because that's what I get paid for. Um, and, and in terms of the third parties, um, 
I have to make sure that my third party management process is robust enough to make sure that those third parties are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Are they following international framework for their security practice? Um, how are they protecting uh, my data, my customers' data, et cetera, uh, if I use third parties? Um, and then if they are stuck with anything, try and help them as best as we can because we have a, 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 a no, due care has to be taken into account with everything that we do from a security perspective. I think that's what I see a lot. Lots of companies out there that can uh, check that third parties have got certain things in place, you know, the, the typical questionnaire, but I don't see very much where companies are actually trying to help them or give them really actionable things that they can go do. Yeah, so it's I always I always use it use the example of you no, know, it's pointless me sitting on the sideline and pointing at all these companies saying, Oh, look what you're doing wrong here. You're gonna get into trouble. Right? That's what the contracts are for. The contracts are designed in a way to protect us as an organization to make sure that the the company we're using has the relevant controls in place to protect the data or the information that they have. But it's also my my obligation to make sure that if they are stuck in some way or form, I, my team it might be, I might have a massive team that they don't have and I want to try and help because it's mutually beneficial because it, is, it doesn't help me in any way or form if that organization is breached and all my data is leaked. So that's why I believe that you know, we all have this responsibility to help uh, and move the dial forward. And what do you think we're going to see next happen in security? So it depends on which industry we are talking about, right? So you've got the US election coming up next next month or in a couple of weeks. You've got, uh, from a political perspective, you've got uh, all these elections happening over the world and, and deep fakes is the next big problem that we have. You now you, you go online and you see, oh, this person's trying to get give you a friend request, but you have no clue who this person is. Um, there's no background because it was created through the deep fake process. Uh, that's gonna be the one thing um, I think um, Legislation, regulation, etc., has to move has to move a little bit faster than it may have done in the past uh, to keep up with the pace of change. Uh, and then I think the other key thing is that now our our response capability has has to improve as well. And I have, and I must say, it has improved over the years. If you look at the dwell time, uh, three, four, five years ago, it was sitting almost at 200 days. Now it's sitting on 55. So we have moved along with the times, but I think from a security perspective, what needs to happen is we need to accelerate uh, the speed of our defense uh, and the newer technologies that are out there. And I don't need to start using these buzzwords of machine learning and AI, et cetera. Um, but we need to start using the technologies that are out there uh, a whole lot better. And I think the last one that I'll probably touch on, which is always, almost always forgotten about is awareness. Uh, security awareness to me is still exceptionally important because you may have the best technology on the planet, you may have the best processes, design processes, et cetera, and flows, but you must almost always fall fall flat on the awareness side um, or the on the people side. So I think awareness is the key thing that we would need to focus on uh, going forward. So I think that brings us quite nicely into the Cybersecurity Awards where you were shortlisted for your awareness program and, and you also got a highly commended for the personality of the year category. So what do you think it was that, that you um, and the team are doing that sort of got you those accolades? So I think it's just it's just doing our jobs, basically. Um, I, I, no, it's great. And I, I'm thankful to the judges for for. for 
for giving me the highly commended. Uh, we also won the not-for-profit team of the year for our work on the academy. Yeah, shortlisted for the awareness program that we're running. I think it's we, we're just doing what, what we have to do to to move security forward. And that's the important thing. And, and I would encourage all my, 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 my peers, my CSOs, my CSOs and their teams to do something similar, right? So we, we are focusing on our purpose. So if I look at the academy work, I'm trying to address the biggest problem in South Africa right now is unemployment. It's one of the, well, one, at least one of the biggest problems is un youth unemployment specifically. We have a 55% youth unemployment rate for those 15 to 24 years old. So that's insane. So that was my main focus is to try and solve that problem. And how do I solve it? For my love, for my passion for cybersecurity and how I can then bring skills development and training through that. So that's how we, why we did that. In terms of the awareness stuff, quite frankly, um, Security is boring, right? Nobody wants to talk about cybersecurity unless there's a breach. So we tried to flip the script. So what we've done is we've hired a comedian to deliver our cybersecurity message, which basically, is, you know, he, he's very, it's, it's very jovial, it's fun, it's, um, it's exciting, etc. And there's a joke at the end of it. But in the process, you are learning. And also in how we provide security awareness training is that we tell people, look, you. No, when you go to the shopping mall, when you go to Sainsbury's or Tesco and you're leaving your car in the parking lot, you're locking your car, right? Nine times out of 10 is a yes. When you, you know, go to bed, it depends where you are. If you're in a foreign city, you're not used to, you're locking the hotel room door, um, you're locking your home doors, etc. You do those security related things inherently. It's there subconsciously because you're trying to protect yourself and your well-being. Why is cybersecurity any different? Because when you're online, you need to do exactly the same things you would do if you're locking your car door. And that's the messaging that we're trying to bring out, making it personal to the, personal to the individual so that you know, how, you, how do you protect your kids online from online bullying? Um, how are you protecting yourself when you are connecting to a public Wi-Fi and all those kind of things? So when I start making it, when I start talking about it that way, uh, people then say, oh, now I understand, now I get it. Uh, so that's, I think, why uh, probably we were, uh, we won the award, et cetera. But again, to me, it's not about awards. Uh, it's about the impact that we can make uh, for the wider community. And how do we, again, I keep coming back to this, moving the dial forward for security, because we have a very difficult job. Um, but it's important that we can move things forward and with, we are making a difference in society. Now, we end each podcast with 10 quick questions. So are you, are you ready? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> What turns you on professionally? Learning. What turns you off professionally? Obstacles and red tape. How do you unwind? FIFA. What profession other than your own would you like to try? I've always wanted to be a pilot. That was the first choice. What activity gives you the most energy? Spending time with the family. Who is your biggest inspiration? Uh, Nelson Mandela, but more importantly, my wife. Definitely more importantly. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Purpose. You are at your best when you're doing what? Type security. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Leave the world in a better place than, uh, than I entered it in. 
And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? That I've done a good work on earth, that I've left uh, a legacy that, that not to be proud of, but uh, that I've helped somebody lift themselves out of abject poverty. Well, I think based on what you're doing with the academy and some of the you know, references I've seen from people that have gone through it or that have worked with you, I would say you're pretty close to that one. No, that's great. And that's what it's all about. It's helping people that are less fortunate. There's no point in being blessed and you can't be less out of this. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us a little bit about that. And if anybody wants to get involved with the Academy, how could they, how could they do that? Uh, so we've got a website. Uh, we'll share the link with you, but uh, you can go to um, apsa.africa uh, forward slash uh, cybersecurity dash academy and it will drop you off on the academy homepage and there's a whole bunch of information there. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.